TX Water Polo Podcast. Once again, I'm James Smith in Austin, Texas, and Joe Linehan is in North Texas. I am. You woke me up too early for this, man. We usually do these things like midday on on uh, Tuesdays, but we had mm-hmm. to delay. So you woke me up. It's all good. It's all good. Just drink your coffee. You'll I be did. Fine. I'm having the best coffee days of these days. It's really good. I'm sure people are really into that. Um, we're going to hop right back in, or right into it because uh, there's a – well, first of all, i got to leave to go to a meeting. That's one thing. But also because the list of stuff we have, that's a lot of like short stuff, which is kind of cool. So first of all, last week was um, one of the <laughs> – apparently one of the shortest UIL meetings of all time. And, of course, Joe is such a lifer that he attended, I think, uh, much of it. And what came out of that meeting that you – you Attended share? means that I watched it on – on the UIL homepage. Precisely. So, and um, so the UIL uh, Legislative Council meets twice a year. Um, it's in June and October of each year. Last October was whenever they sanctioned the sport of water polo as the next UIL sport starting in fall 2021. And um, so this year, because of the of the pandemic, they did a, a kind of a virtual meeting. So, and it was very simple. The committee meetings were short, sweet, and kind of to the point. They didn't really, like 95% of stuff, if they didn't really say yes to, but they also didn't say no to. They just kind of, kind of, just kind of pushed it kind of forward to the next meeting because they don't, they want everybody to have a reasonable chance of like, of getting their legislating pushed. The, the good and bad part is that water polo was only mentioned once. In what in what context? Well, there was a number of sports that were asking to be the next sport added, and they were like, "Well, you know, water polo was the last sport added last October. Just don't. I mean, we're not going to take any action right now, but just you know, just come back in in, in October." That was the only that was the only reason that water polo was yeah was uh kind of mentioned. So that's a good thing, you know. We don't want anything kind of drastic to happen in fall of 2021. Not that I think anything can happen in fall of, of, of drastic happen, but you know, the biggest thing that I got out of it is the UAL is working very, very hard to uh, allow sports to, or allow school districts to make their own decision right now, as far as the summer workouts go. And they're working very, very hard to get fall athletics kind of moving forward. They Say really it. would like to see fall athletics moving football. forward. Football. Say it. It's yes, they do want to see football happen. Yes. Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. So. Do you get the sense that they're, uh, because of the success of water polo, and I think it surprised a lot of people, do you get the sense that these other sports, these other activities are feel like, hey, w- w- why don't we have the opportunity to do that? Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily get the sense, but I would see that that would be a, a kind of a natural next step. But, you know, water polo did their due diligence for That's years it. and years and years. Yeah. And um, the UIL is going to make any other sport do their due diligence. And um, and there is we the water polo did everything that the UIL asked us to do every yeah. single year. And we didn't miss a meeting for every single year. So for seven or 10 things. years or something like that. Right. Yes. And yeah. uh, so, you know, and it's one of those that, you know, that's what other sports are going to have to do is they're going to have to you know learn the rules and yeah, and then play the game. So. I get the sense I, I don't have a whole lot of evidence to support this. I'll be honest, but that other sports kind of resent that water polo is the next one that, that they feel that their their activity should be in there. And then of course, of I course, think but they I mean, sort of, oh, water polo would feel the same way if lacrosse got added. Well, let me let me let me uh, elaborate. So I think that they don't really know the degree of work 
that went into getting water polo added. I think they just feel like it was a whim of some kind. It's like they finally, you know, I don't know, they 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 finally convinced a, a, a quorum to uh, add the sport. But if you're, I just, I know that there's a lot of people who are into lacrosse and they think that they should be the next sport, especially because there are, are there more? There, I thought they claimed that there are more players in the state of Texas than there are water polo players. Uh, to me, that's irrelevant. But, uh, but yeah, they and other sports, they got to, they got to show up. Um, yeah, I mean, but they also have to show up. They also have to kind of make sure that their rules are aligned with the UAL guidelines for uh, like 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 the basic guidelines of sports yeah. in general. You know, the, especially the eligibility aspect. You can't have athletes from a uh, like another school playing for um, South Lake Carroll. You can't have Keller kids playing for South Lake Carroll. You know, right. so yeah. um, that's what happens in some other sports currently right now that are not UIL. Right. Um, and that has to that and that stopped a long time ago for water polo. I don't even know if that was ever allowed. Well, including yeah. ours. I mean, in in the West region and uh, up there, we have consolidated teams. Now, of course, those are they don't qualify for states and all of that. Exactly. But they can still exactly. play. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and they can play, but that's a that's a that's a temporary. Yes. Um kind of a kind of kind of piece in place to allow teams to grow yeah. that's not that's not that's, that's right. not supposed to be a long-term tool yeah. so that's supposed to be a like a year or two until you have enough for your own school i'm so happy i mean the i'm super happy that the that we had some consolidated teams coming and going in the west region uh austin to basically wake out to the valley but it's going to be so much better when these are all varsity and JV teams all affiliated with a single high school. It's a, I, I, you know, just from my own management perspective, it's just going to be so much better. And there's work going on right now that we're trying to create some some additional events and tournaments for, you know, the SPC, the TAPS, mm-hmm. the private school and the parochial school and the homeschool groups because, you know, those schools are not going to be able to play past like, you know, a certain point right. with the UIL teams. So, um, so we're, so we are making inroads there and it's, and like, so our goal is to have a parochial private school and homeschool state championship in fall of 2021. No kidding. Um, that early. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, we grow those number of schools as well to where you have, and to where each of those other organizations kind of split off and have their own state championships. So let's say in five years, the whole goal is, yes, we have the UIL state championship, but we also have a TAP state championship, SPC state championship, um, and a homeschool state championship. That'd be really cool. Yeah. That'd be great. So, so that's, so that's where we're kind of working for. Yeah. Right now, but just getting everybody on, on the same page and we still have to grow the sport and get a bunch of schools to be able to play and such, and just make it as easy as possible. Yeah. Um, good segue too, because, uh, the team that will probably lead that charge is St. Mark's. I mean, they need a place to go play. Um, and, yeah. uh, I was up in Dallas this weekend watching practice. Uh, Pegasus is one of the six clubs that is back in the pool or back in the water. We can put it that way. Eight, eight clubs. Eight. Is it eight? Okay. Um, so I watched their practice and actually it was, it was great. I mean, uh, they follow their own rules. Um, the, the pool is fairly strict about the way that they have to wear masks and keep distancing and so on. Fair enough, but the, they got some serious work done uh, just even in the short period that I, I watched. Um, any particular session was, I think, an hour, and then you know then they, then they bring in the next group, and I think the limit was 15, 16 players, something like that. So it is encouraging. It's not really, I don't know, it's not really water polo in a lot of ways. It's a fundamental work, which is great, 
Um, but I'm sure that people are are waiting to uh, actually have physical contact again. Uh, well, you know, it's, these kids have been off for like three months. Yeah. So um, I, I know there's been some kids that have been swimming cons- yeah, consistently out there and that they I, and I'm sure they bring a ball to the YMCA and swim or whatever. So, you know, everybody's on a different level. But, you know, you know, fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, that's what it's about. There are no competitions tomorrow. So, you know, it's uh, so this is the time to work on that condition. This is the time to work on that on the fundamentals and i've been hearing that pegasus is doing a tremendous job i haven't been out on the pool deck yet but it's great that that you went out did you uh, learn a couple things you're going to bring back to the aquatex practices joe i stole so much stuff it was fantastic it was so great we actually did it last night it was uh i was like oh we should be doing that we should be doing that so yeah i i didn't even tell spencer i just took everything that he was doing it's all right yeah um speaking of pegasus and trident and saint mark's and that whole it's that's such a complicated thing and maybe it's not that complicated but they're all related in a certain way is uh mihai oprea he's leaving Uh, we interviewed him some time ago uh he's you know has to be considered one of the most successful coaches in the state's history yeah and they had a uh going away celebration for him on friday night how did that work it was great uh was it um houston hall kind of hosted a small group of some people that have been around since the beginning. So Mihai's been up here for 29 years. Oh, I didn't 29 know 29 years. Yeah. He's been with St. Mark's for 24 years. So, um, and uh, so he came over to, from Romania in the early nineties and was it, um, and now, and he's going back to Romania now. And um, was it, um, so they had, a, so Houston Hall kind of hosted like 10, 12 people over at his house. And then, this was this was and and Mihai knew about that and then there was a then Houston also or, organized a drive by so where um all the all the all the former Dallas Masters players that weren't in the top 10 12 people invited <laughs> um uh, and a lot and a ton of of ex St. Mark's players um and also some coaches and yeah and uh, referees from the area were invited to come by and you know nobody really knew how many cars were going to be there. You know, it's kind of line up at this time and then just kind of come by and, yeah, and, yeah, and say something to me high for a, a minute or two and then move on. But, um, there were probably 75 cars. No kidding. Oh yeah. He deserves it. it. Yeah, it was great. And, uh, and that was a bit of a surprise for him. And I think that was great because there was a ton of kids from, you know, from the recent kids all the way to the older kids. And, you know, and I mean, he's been somewhere for 24 years and he built something that was very, very strong there. They've won what five out out of the last six, uh, state championships. And he's going to go over to Romania. He's going back home. And, uh, was it, um, it's, and he's opening up an athletic club that's going to have a like like a swimming and a swim lesson component, and I'm sure he's going to get involved in the water pole world over there as well. Um, it's I'm I'm excited for Mihai. It's I'm very sad to see a friend and a great coach leave Texas, but um, I'm excited for him. This is his next step. This is this is something that he's been working towards for the last couple of years. So I mean, this is. I'm I'm just excited to hear good things coming from from uh, from Romania. So yeah, and you did say there is some chance he could come back. So you know the, we can we can always hope. Although I just wish him success. Like I hope that it all works for him. Um, and he is yet another segue. 
um, he must be considered at some point a, a Hall of Famer. And um, and you and I introduced that that uh, idea last week, not about him in particular, but the Texas Swimming and Diving Hall of Fame has water polo figures in it, but mainly they're not. They're mainly they're swimmers who also did water polo, which is fine. But uh, you know, I I think you and I and, and others are trying to spearhead this effort to to introduce more straight up water polo figures uh, to the hall of fame. And he would be one of them. Yeah. So if you have any um, thoughts as far as, you know, people that you think might be interested to be nominated, please email pod at TXWaterPolo.com. That's right. And, um, and I mean, we're trying to put together a group uh, of people that we can send to the Texas swimming and diving um, kind of hall of fame from athletes to coaches, to referees, you know, obviously we've gone over the best of Texas, best of pet, yeah, the best of Texas part two. And I mean, there's people from 1972 all the way to 2019. Yeah. You no, know, yes. I would definitely say that Mihai would be on that list. Um, but like, you know, there are a ton of people that could be nominated and please, Send us your ideas, please. I mean, because this is this is an opportunity to recognize, um, you know, the people that have done a great job over the yeah. years, you know, and and that have done a great job here, that played club water polo, that played um, high school water polo, that went off and played college water polo, that went off and played professional water polo, hmm. you know, and we and we have people from Texas that have done this. Yeah. We have we have coaches that have that have won multiple multiple state championships. That yeah, yeah that yeah that should be recognized. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, there are a ton of people. So please, again, email pod at txwaterpolo.com. You know, I have this thing, though, the Texas, uh, it's the Texas Swimming and Diving Hall of Fame. And then they happen to have people who are also involved in water polo. I think there should be a water polo Hall of Fame. That's just between you and me. That would be great. Okay. okay. It's not to say that I don't like that Hall of Fame. I'd like to be associated with it. But uh, I, I'm maybe I'm the only one, but those are three disciplines that are are pretty different especially diving but and again that's their that is a lifelong that is the lifelong kind of debate you know it is i mean because like you know you don't have you know a track and field kind of mixed up with football right you know but but you know but you know it's yeah it's one of the this is an opportunity to have some water polo people recognized so let's take that opportunity when I swam at UC San Diego, and it's hard to believe that I actually swam in college, uh, we, you know, we would go to meets and we would do well because we had a good diving team. I met one of the divers once. That was it. Like I, I, I found it very strange, very strange that relationship. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, uh, Pegasus is also one of the teams that's uh, back to practice, as we mentioned, and uh, I was involved in a town hall yesterday with you. Um, um, among coaches who are back in the pool, so who, who shared basically what is it that uh, that needs to be done in order to get uh, back in the pool according to each locality. So I thought yeah, that went it was, pretty well. Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, there was some. Everybody has their their different positives, their different challenges, um, and their different guidelines. And you know, there are some coaches that need to make up their own guidelines. There's other that have very strict guidelines from their facilities. So, I mean, it was interesting to hear. So um, that is going to be posted at txwaterpolo.com. Again, we had, um, we had, we had Southside and Triumph from Houston. We had Zilla and Aquatex from Central Texas. Then we had Pegasus and Sigma from North Texas. Yeah. The, the Sigma is so cool. Like that. I'm just so pleased that there's something going on in Fort Worth and he's a, uh, they're underway. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So please go listen to that or watch that actually. Yeah. Um. And uh, it was slight. It was a slightly new format. It's a 
Zoom webinar, not in not a Zoom meeting. So. Oh. Yeah, I noticed because I was slightly late. I came straight straight from another Zoom meeting, um, mm -hmm. and uh, then you got snippy at me about that. And uh, but I didn't realize that you know you you enter and then you're granted panelist status. I, I didn't even know how yeah. that works. So yeah. Well, I did I did email you beforehand, but that's okay. Oh no, I know you. Did. <laughs> it's Joe. The last thing that I, you need to worry about is whether mm -hmm. you've communicated something to me enough. I just I just. That that meeting that I have beforehand is uh, rock solid weekly, and so it ends at whatever. No, it's all like It's all yeah. good. Oh, uh, what all is it? Um, and it and it was all in good fun. Thank you for participating last my night. My pleasure. I was very glad to do it. As I've said, yeah. as you asked me yesterday, like about you know what what the limitations are. I mean, we have some limitations. We have probably fewer limitations at Aquatex than just about anywhere else in the in the state. But more than that, it's just I'm just wildly grateful. Like it's it's as I said yesterday, we lucked into being the first club back in Texas and probably in the States, but, uh, I'm, I'm just immensely grateful to my club and my coach, uh, or my, my, uh, my boss, Mark. So there you go. And then the Texas coaches to coaches are also starting this upcoming Thursday at 1230 PM. We're going to have Chris Cullen talking about season practice planning. And then next week we will have Mac. Yeah. Just Mac McDonald, just talking about just dealing with, you know, school admins and parents mm. and such like that. So, um, and we're going to continue both the coach to coaches and the town hall meetings through the end of July. Um, and, um, all that information is at the TXwaterpole.com website. There you have it. All right. Time for our first break. All of TX water polo is brought to you advertising free and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to, txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, I'm U.S. Olympian Janai Kerr, and when I need to stay up to date with my water polo news in Texas, I listen to the TX Water Polo Podcast. James and Joe back with you. Segment two of the TX Water Polo Podcast. Um, we're going to run through just a couple things, really. Uh, Best of Texas is still, well, the, the polling is closed for the week, um, as we mentioned last week. So we have programs, but we have results. We have results of the final four. Um, we wanted to go over those. Um, and you're, Joe is, of course, going to tell me which ones are surprises and which ones are not. Um, for the girls' final four, the winner of the matchup between Baytown Sterling and Clear Lake was Baytown Sterling, 55% to 45%. I don't think that was much of a, I don't think that was much of a surprise. You know, I think the obviously in the first round of best of Texas, you know, Baytown Stone kind of dominated mm -hmm. and they have, and they've won the most state championships on the right. girl side. So I don't think that was, that was much of a surprise, but it was, I, it, was it might've been closer than what I thought. So, yeah, that's what I was just going to say that, that, I mean, you know, all credit to both teams or both programs rather, but uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that. There was a point where a 50, 50, I think our efforts to get people to go out and vote, <laughs> they, that mattered. So it changed, it turned the tide. Um, the other matchup was uh, Marshall versus Clark. Um, and Clark comes out on top 53% to 47%. Was it Clark that came out on top? Yep. Okay, well, good. But that's on the girls' side? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, well, good. I mean, I don't think that's – I mean, I, I think Clark played in nine straight state championship games. They, you know, I think they won four or five. So, I mean, I don't think – I think they were slightly better than the Marshall girls. So, I'm not I'm not too surprised that they slightly beat them. So. Yeah. 
I was a little, I mean, knowing what I know, I was a little bit surprised because Clark did have such success. Not that Marshall didn't, but, um, you know, it was sort of like they were very data-driven results that they had all these championships, all these uh, participation in championships. But anyway, 53 to 47%, that's a pretty good matchup. So the Battle of San Antonio on the girls' side goes to Clark. Um, On the boys' side, First round, uh, or sorry, uh, next matchup is Baytown Sterling versus Clear Lakes. Surprise, surprise. Clear Lake comes out on top, 57 to 43%. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that that wasn't a little bit closer, the voting-wise. Um, just, you know, if you look back at the best of Texas part one, you know, kind of results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really surprised at the result, though, because Clear Lake did, but they've won the most state championships. They had the most championship game appearances. And they've won championships in the seventies all the way through the like the two thousands. So yeah, and both of those teams were coached uh, at least at some point by Tom Landgraf. We're going to talk about him next. But um, first, the, the final of of the boys matchups was St. Mark's versus Clark. Um, and you, I think you gave me a guess beforehand, but the results were pretty, <laughs> pretty resounding. Eighty six percent in far in favor of St. Mark's over Clark, which uh, earned 14 percent. Not surprising. I mean, they've won five of the last six state championships. Um, they won uh, championships back in the 70s as well. Yeah. So they've had a little bit of a run of excellence here for a yeah. while. So, um, I mean kind of kudos to Mihai and his crew there. So I guess for the boys, it's going to be um, St. Mark's versus Clear Lake. Yep, that's right. All right, get out there and vote, people. Yeah. I think that's going to be a very good matchup. It's going to be, you know, um, you know, St. Mark's didn't play there for like 10, about 10, 15 years in the middle. But um, obviously, whenever they do play, they are very, they, they are very, very good. I know. Isn't um, that amazing? They, they yeah. could take a hiatus and then come back and be super successful. In both, in both Clear Lake and like, you know, and yeah, like the Clear Lake run in the, in the 90s. And the uh, the St. Mark's run in the 2010s are very comparable. Yeah, and those yep. are like and those are like the cornerstones of both those programs. So yeah. there you go. All right, so that that'll we'll reopen voting for the uh, finals uh, by tomorrow, I suspect. And then uh, if we get enough votes, we'll finish that up on Tuesday. If not, we'll extend it for another week, like we've done before, which is cool. Um, but yeah, keep an eye open for that. Um, that'll go out on txwaterpolo.com quite soon. Um, and speaking of Clear Lake and Sterling, I had a chance to talk with uh, somebody that I've actually never met. I've been here for quite a while, and this is a name who's not only um, you know one of the greats in Texas high school water polo history, but he has all these connections with people from where I came, Long Beach and that Southern California area, but I've never spoken with him. So I had the chance to speak with Tom Landgraf, who was with Mac McDonald, which was uh, which was pretty darn interesting. Oh, yeah. So what did you learn about the rise of the Houston teams back in the 90s? Well, one of the you're I don't want to spoil it because Mac has some good lines in there about how they created the Jalapeno League and, and those kinds of things. Sure. Um, but that that was basically it, what I'd learned was the method by which they started to introduce the sport to those who are 10 and under in particular. And that came as a result of, um, you know, Coach Landgraf became the coach at uh, Sterling in, in 1980. And then was told straight up when he was hired on the phone, by the way, that he was going to be coaching water polo, about which he knew basically anything. So nothing. So he he had to, you know, ramp up quickly. He said he bought some books and so on. And so um, then achieved success within three, four years. And then the Jalapeno League 
started with six teams, I guess, and then ended up with 12. It was it was a really a, a, a magnet for growth. So those those facts were new to me. I, I think the Jalapeno League lasted for quite some time, and I think they had a whole lot more than 12 teams at, at its peak. Yeah. So and uh, was it um? But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting story. I mean. Uh, Landgraf, he was not a water polo coach, but he taught himself to be a water polo coach, which is what a lot of coaches here in Texas have to do. And, you know, as long as you're a good coach in one sport, you, you can be a good coach in another sport. So um, and that's what we're looking forward to kind of doing here in fall 2021. What he mentioned also was that uh, he has some affection for basketball, and this is not an uncommon thing among uh, water polo coaches. Jeez, uh, John Abdu's nuts about uh, basketball, so and he's not the only one. Um, so I asked him specifically because I wanted to know what the relationship was between his success and and his background in basketball. And he, you'll hear it. He he tells a story about how. Uh, his he was his practice was being observed by Rich Corso, who was a U.S. national team coach eventually, and um, and he said, yeah, your your practices are kind of backward, except your counterattack. It looks really good. So he wanted he invited uh, Landgraf out to California to talk about that, and that was all predicated on what he knew from basketball. You know, the fast break in basketball, like keeping the ball dry and and uh, you know movement and so on. So um, all new stuff for me. That's really super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm a huge basketball fan as well. I'm a Santos. Spurs fan. Um, NBA is is my favorite kind of professional sport out there. And I mean, I've probably learned more. I mean, obviously there's some great water polo coaches that I've, that I've learned from, but um, over the years, I mean, I have sat there and asked basketball coaches kind of more questions and not necessarily about like, you know, the X's and O's or drills and skills of water polo, but it's more about the organization of a program. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I don't know if I've said this on this podcast or or not, but whenever I was coaching at the U.S. Merch Marine Academy, I got to know uh, Bob McKinnon, who was the head basketball coach at the time at at, at the school, mm-hmm. and um, he was extremely organized. Like, I mean, granted, I believe that's what all basketball coaches are. Yeah, well, yeah, we're like. But I just sat there and asked him a ton of questions. I was what a 23 year old kid, you know, whenever I first got that job, and everything is written out to the minute. Wow. I'd go watch basketball practices and just see how. Yeah. And just kind of and kind of and kind of see how it's organized. And I mean, and he even took me into um, into Manhattan one time because he knew Jeff Van Gundy from working camps. And Mm -hmm. I got to go to um, uh, New York's Knicks practice. No kidding. So I just got to sit at the bottom couple rows of Madison Square Garden and just sit there and watch for a couple hours. And and I will never forget the image of Jeff Van Gundy getting into the chest of of Patrick Ewing (laughs) and getting on him with this small guy that's bald, getting into the chest of this huge guy that just kind of stomp him in like like in one swing. But, you know, Jeff Van Gundy had total control of the practice and it was to the minute. And, and these and the beautiful part about it is and, and and I use this, you know, whenever I'm talking to my kids a lot is you would watch like Patrick Ewing or these professionals. They would work on their footwork for like 20 minutes. Right. Like, and, I mean, and this is what we talked about, it's like the fundamentals. And, you know, so these kids, all they want to do is shoot, 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 yeah, shoot. Yeah. Right. So in scrimmage, scrimmage, scrimmage. No, you have to work on 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 your fundamentals. So I go back and I say. This is what basketball people do. This is what football people do. This is what linemen do. They work on their footwork to protect the quarterback constantly. You know, it's all about your footwork. It's all about it's all about your legs in water pole, your body position in water pole. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, that's one thing that I 
gained from basketball for sure. Um, and I mean, I would, I mean, I'll watch anything as far as, and I'll read a ton of books as far as like, you know, the water, like the basketball coaches out there. You know what I was surprised by when I got back into coaching was how hot the, some of the highest level coaches in the country were addicted to reading uh, John Wooden and Adam Kikorian, who's now the women's national team coach, and he's a you know certain Hall of Famer. They've had such such success. Used to talk about when he was at UCLA, he got the chance to go meet Wooden, you know, every once in a while, which is just amazing. Like the the amount that you can glean from that. Um, all right, Joe, I got to get out of here. But um, coming up next is that conversation with uh, Coach Landgraf and Mac McDonald. Um, you'll hear that it with not some very with some very not creative editing that the connection wasn't very good. So you'll I hope you'll bear with it because it's a it was very interesting conversation. But sometimes the voices fade a little bit. Um, but it was worth it to talk to basically one of the most successful water polo coaches in the state's history. So we'll come back with that conversation in a moment. Hey, this is Jesse Smith, recent Pan Am gold medalist. I was just checking out Texas Water Polo from the TX Water Polo Podcast. Also, you can check out the website. You can follow me at GoSmith now. Thanks, guys. Today we're getting schooled on how water polo became so big in the Houston area by talking with two of the legendary figures in that area. Mac McDonald, you know, he's spoken with Joe a couple times. He uh, has been a long time, uh, well, basically a pioneer of the sport in the state and a well-known coach at Lamar. But also Tom Landgraf, who's really one of the biggest names in Texas water polo history. He began coaching in 1980 at Baytown Sterling, later went on to Clear Creek. And I think it's fair to say he's had the most successful at least high school coaching career in Texas water polo history. So today we're talking with these two men uh, about how the sport emerged in Houston since they were key to its growth. So Mac and Tom, thank you for talking with us. When I got to Texas, the principal says, oh, by the way, you're going to coach water polo. I said, water polo? He said, yeah, and you're also going to coach, you're going to teach psychology. I said, I can't even spill it. Um, my first game in water polo was very interesting. Played Steve McDonald at North Shore. They beat us 21 to 1. I called my dad that night and I said, I'm leaving. He said, what? <laughs> I can't take this. <laughs> my, my ego can't take it and be like this. He said, well, I didn't know you were a quitter. <laughs> so needless to say, I didn't quit. And... Uh, Got a couple books and paid attention and figured out the game. And uh, within three years, I was in the state finals. Right. In four years, I won my first state championship. And well, I had a real good player named David Nestor. And Corso was the assistant coach of water polo UCLA. He okay. came to recruit him. Got it. And uh, I know that's that name. How I got hooked up with Rich and he. He he watched he watched practice one day. He said, I said, I'll stick around for practice, okay. So we went to eat. I said, Well, what do you think? He said, Well, coach, some of the things you're doing are ass backwards. <laughs> but uh but your counterattack is phenomenal. But I'd like for you to come to the Olympic Training Center this summer and work with my coaches on it. 
And that didn't sit well with some of the California people. Right. But again, I had Corso in my pocket. Uh, I was a good friends with his friend, Ricardo Azevedo. Yep. No and well. uh, Monty Niskowski. So I was in pretty good standing there. And again, it was a combination of me getting to work with the national team and going on trips and bringing that back to Texas. It really pushed my team up on top. So I want to start with a little bit of history, Coach. Uh, you are an Indiana native, and I know that you were recruited to come to the state of Texas, sight unseen, on the phone, as you just mentioned. Um, was Texas on your mind anyway, or was it simply that was an opportunity that presented it to, your, to yourself? Oh, Texas was on my mind. My uh, aunt lived in Houston, and my uncle lived in San Antonio. Okay. So, and I had... I had accepted a scholarship to the University of Houston to swim. But right at the last minute, a very successful high school coach in Indiana got the job at Indiana State, and he offered me a full ride. So I said, Texas is going to have to wait. <laughs> but, but again, there was, in my background, no, no water polo. Right. I wanted, uh, just as an aside, I wanted to see if you had an opinion about why water polo hasn't really caught on in the state of Indiana. Obviously, there's a NCAA women's team at the university, but there really isn't much of an age group presence and there's no high school presence. Do you have an opinion about why? Well, uh, it kind of fits in with what we're talking about. It's been slow moving here in Texas. And it's like I always, when I'd go to a national convention and speak, it's not because you don't have the athletes. We have some great swimmers in Texas. You don't have the coaches. You don't have people who have the background or the ability to, to coach. And they have egos. So I, I think it has to do with the supervision of the sport. Not that they couldn't get the kids to play it. Right. That's a, that's a situation that is hopeful to me. I've been covering the sport in the entire country for quite some time. And Indiana has always stood out as a place that is basically waiting for water polo to happen. I mean, if it's happening in Tennessee, then, you know, Indiana should be on that map as well. That's just a little editorial there. So I wanted to go over, again, uh, you had a speech at the Texas Hall of Fame, which you are a member of, the Texas Swimming and Diving Hall of Fame. Um, you went a little bit through your chronology. Um, you headed out to Oregon State, and uh, as a one-time resident of very Northern California, I mean very Northern California, I can understand why you want to want to, wouldn't want to stay. That rain, it just gets, drives you crazy. Um, and, but then return, or came to Texas to Sterling, and as you mentioned, you were told you were going to teach both water polo and psychology. I wanted to move forward just a second about the psychology part. Did that end up helping you as far as coaching different ages, genders? I mean, was that, was that part of your success, would you say? I don't know how much I've been asked that question, but it definitely affected the way I coach. It affected the way I coach swimming. And had a big effect on me. It's reward and punishment, B.S. Skinner, <laughs> and uh, oh, yes. Let me say that the most successful high school swimming coach in the state of Texas was Lady Landtrip. 
and Lanny Lantern taught psychology. And mm. the most successful high school water polo coach in the state of Texas is Tom Landgraf. And Tom Landgraf taught psychology. I taught driver education. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help you as much, I guess. I guess not. Oh. Well, <laughs> there, there's always somebody comes in the door, a parent, a swimmer. I don't want you trying to breed my kids, man. I don't think of <laughs> it's not like that at all. No experiments, but just some basic fundamentals psychology I use every day. Right. Um, I don't want to pass over the success you had at Baytown Sterling, which we're going to cover in a moment. But what was interesting to me is that water polo kind of fell into your lap, uh, according to what your description was in 84. The Olympic Festival was held in Houston. um, And your anecdote was that um, you were asked to do venue preparation for this event. And again, you said, I don't know anything about water polo, but then they said, there's this guy, Dennis Fosdick, who's going to run everything. And uh, the story is really interesting, but I wanted to know, did that begin a long-term relationship with Foz? Cause he is yet another legendary figure in the state of Texas. No, Dennis and I were close until the day he passed. Mm. We, we became good friends and he helped me immensely. And I, I could never thank him enough. But no, it wasn't just coaching water polo. I did the development camps in the summer. It was a year-round job. Mm. And uh, again, that had something to do with the long-term success that I had at Baytown Sterling uh, because it was a blue-collar type school. And all I did was, was make it fun. I got the kids to get in the water and the, the, have fun. We didn't know what the rules were. <laughs> so I said, we'll pick them up as we go. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you about tactics for a second, because you said that you were asked to come and basically present the way that you counterattack at UCLA of all places, which is a, quite an honor. Um, my recollection is that Monty Nitskowski, who was a U.S. national team coach and, um, again, a legendary figure, was also influenced a great deal by basketball. And he, made, he sort of revolutionized the use of picks in particular. So I'm curious about what did your basketball experience teach you about the counterattack that was so popular elsewhere? Well, the, the, the basketball, two things. Number one, the shot clock. Shot clock was introduced about the time I started coaching and it hadn't been in the sport. Right. And Thankfully. I'm used to a shot clock. Most importantly, on the counterattack, I've taught my kids when the shot clock gets down to five, I want you leaving. What do you mean leaving? I mean, quit guarding and take off the play offense. <laughs> so the shot clock had something to do with it. And the transition game on the passing the ball. Uh, water polo, the ball is meant to be passed, not held. You hold the ball, or you play, you ought to know what happens. But uh, so, so moving the ball quickly, good passing. So we worked a lot of passing drills. That's what I brought from basketball. Really quickly, I think, is your experience with USA Water Polo. You covered a little bit, but if are there... You know, that's, that's a connection that I think is sporadic. In other words, you started in 86, but you were involved in USA Water Polo as late as 96. 
And I'm sure it wasn't full time in every year, but do you have any, what are your, what are your biggest recollections of that relationship with the USA water polo staff? It, it was marvelous. They, uh, I was skeptical at first when I went to that first development camp, but uh, from day one, uh, I was treated like an equal, and that had a lot to do with my success and my longevity, because I went every summer. Uh, I traveled around the world. I became the head national youth coach. I became assistant junior coach. I got on the national staff. Uh, I, I had a marvelous career. Spanning about 12 years, you know, you, you don't get to go to Brazil every day or Russia every day or Egypt every day. And uh, I got to do all that. And clearly learned a lot as well, obviously. Oh, you, you go to a clinic. I went to ASCA clinics every year. The first time I went to Rich Corso's practice for a week, I learned more than I did in 11 years of ASCA clinics. You know, and it's like I told uh, Eddie Reese, who's a friend of mine, I said, Eddie, I said, it's one thing for you to tell me what you're going to do at a clinic. It's a whole lot different to see you working here on this deck. Yeah, isn't it? It's it, it being present during practices, which is uh, it might sound tedious, is one of the great learning experiences when you you have a skilled coach. So let's get into Houston now. And so the first question is, how did you two meet, and what is the history between the two of you? Okay, he he told you a little bit about this, but he lied to me. <laughs> he came in and told me that he had been coaching water polo. <laughs> Now, this pool that he tells this story, I don't remember the score being quite that lopsided, but I very <laughs> much remember the pool. It was five six-foot lanes, shallow on both ends, mm. with a shallow water goal sticking eight feet off the bottom. Looked like a damn movie screen on the end of the pool. Uh, so we had an, a distinct home court advantage. Uh, I'm not sure the game really qualified as water polo played in that kind of a condition, but... Uh, he came and North Shore and Sterling had been rivals in swimming for as long as they'd had swimming in that area. Uh, we became rivals in water polo as well. Uh, but you learn something, you get challenged by each other. And I, I think each of us became better coaches. I knew a lot more about the game at that time than what he did, but he learned really, really fast. And uh, I'll, I'll bet you if you can get him to tell the truth, we would remember more often the times that we lost to the other guy than the times that we beat him because those, those were hard to live with. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, he, uh, he was at Sterling. Uh, I was at North Shore. In 84, I left and went to Oklahoma for eight years. Right. And at that time, uh, Tom got involved with the Olympic Festival. At the time, I think it was called National Sports Festival in 86 or 84. No, it wouldn't have been 84. It was 86, and they played at Spring Branch. And uh, he became involved with the national team at that point and was coaching at Sterling. And when I decided to come back home from Oklahoma, I called him and said, you know, I'm ready to come back home you know of any jobs that are open in the Houston area and said, hell, you can have mine. I'm leaving. Come on home. 
So uh, it's it's not the best career advice to follow a legend into his own pool. It's uh, it, it's not the best way to go. But I followed him into uh, Sterling, and he followed Lanny Landroop into like there was another guy in between there. But it is tough following a legend, and you you better be able to come in and convince the kids that you've got something to offer them or they'll tune you out because they figure they can outweigh you. But uh, we had a, a big rivalry when I was at North Shore and he was at Sterling. And then we had an even bigger rivalry when I was at Sterling and he was at Clear Lake. Clearly. It's, it's, I, I think you've done okay for yourself, Max. So, you know, following a legend has worked out for you. Let's talk about high school as sort of the impetus for growth in the area overall, right? So my understanding is that, that your high school teams in particular um, had started competing in the late 70s, is that right? And then, and then age group followed from my understanding. But tell me if I'm wrong about that. That's basically right. Yeah, we, uh, the sport started in Texas in about 1972. I came out of college in 75 at North Shore, and the teams that were dominating at that time were Clear Creek High School, Lamarck High School under Don Boyd, uh, Clear Lake High School under Lanny Landtrue. Those, those were the big boys in North Shore. We were just trying to catch up. Uh, we started to catch up around 1980. Uh, Tom came to Sterling, and Sterling came on the scene as well. But we didn't really be come a, a strong water polo center until we started something that we named the jalapeno league because we didn't think we could get away with calling it the margarita league it started off as six teams and i think we ended up at 12 yeah before we uh we it, it was a it was a summer league it was played in the summer and it gave the kids an option that the USS swimming coaches probably didn't appreciate. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we got them playing the Jalapeno League. And then we realized that we didn't want to go to JOs and just get our heads beat in. But if we put all of our kids together, we could put a more representative team out there. So it was much like Little League Baseball. You played your Little League Baseball season against each other. And like I said, all of the teams had some name that was a derivative from a Mexican restaurant and we played. And then at the end of the summer, we'd take the kids that wanted to, that could afford to, or were good enough and put them together with one team and would travel to JOs with them. And taking those kids to JOs was the next really big step. We wanted it to be a little bit more flexible in the beginning because I didn't want to scare people off with something highly organized. So that's where we started it, is loose. But it rapidly grew to the point where we had a, a lawyer come in and write our, <laughs> and incorporate our, our laws and bylaws. And we were, we were really flowing then. And instead of taking one team to California to the Junior Olympics, we were taking six teams. We were taking 14, 16s, 18s, and girls and boys. So, what started out to be kind of grassroots grew into something highly developed. We are talking in terms of best of Texas programs. We have a poll out there right now in which a couple of your teams are in there. So there you go. But um, did you have any sense at the time that it was sort of a competition between Houston and San Antonio? Or was were you just 
You just wanted to grow the in your area. It didn't have anything no, to do with it. No, we wanted to kick else. San Antonio's butt. <laughs> they had been kicking ours. We got tired of it. And uh, we, we thought we kind of – I guess we kind of happened upon the idea that playing year-round or at least playing in the summer when everybody else was stopping to go back to their swimming programs uh, – we kind of always felt like if you were playing water polo and if you were playing the game hard, you were getting benefit for your swimming and your swimming team would benefit when we started back into the high school swimming team. But in the meantime, our kids did not realize that they'd been in the water all year long. They thought they were having fun most of the time and then they'd buckle down to the swimming team. But the water polo end of it, San Antonio was dominant. They were winning and neither one of us liked to lose. So you know, what is it? Everybody has the will to win, but it's it's the guy that just hates losing that's going to eventually win out. I wonder if, and we've spoken to George Block a couple times now. Joe had a long interview with him about San Antonio. I'm wondering, I, I, it seems awfully clear that you're quite proud of how you accomplished what you did in relation to San Antonio, but are were you also at the same time, you know, sort of unpleasantly surprised at, at the demise of the sport in San Antonio? Yeah, that was disappointing. Uh, you know, it's uh, you got to have a rival. This thing's not as much fun unless you have a rival. And we had each other as rivals, but it was it was a lot of fun when it was San Antonio versus Houston. And when they kind of de-emphasized the sport for reasons that I guess George has explained, they they were uh, very much focused on the swimming end of things and they felt like they needed to focus on swimming. They felt like we were overemphasizing water polo. Uh, I'm not sure if that's fair or not. That was the way it got back to us. But when they de-emphasized their program, it left us just kind of looking at each other here in Houston. Dallas was only St. Mark's at that time. There wasn't anybody else playing in Dallas. So it kind of left us just here in the, in the city of Houston ourselves. And, uh, that probably led to our coming down as well at the end of the end of the thing when we had the uh, the 2008-2009 dual seasons between Texas High School water polo and Tisca water polo. Um, so we we regretted San Antonio not staying as involved as what they had. Let me go over a couple of uh, statistics here, a couple of accomplishments. So, Coach Tom, Coach of the Year, 20, and, and just on the girls' side, Coach of the Year 2011, 09, 08, tied with Coach Slay, 96 and 94, and state champions in 09, 04, 96, and 95. And just wait for this. Boys, Coach of the Year, 85, 86, 1990, 91, 94, 95, 98, 2000, 2008, and 2009. State champs, 86, all four years, or no, excuse me, five between 1991 and, and uh, or sorry, 1991 and 1990, and then 1980, 1994 through 1998, state champions, 2002, 2008, 2009. So and that I'm was in two different schools. Right, exactly. So Sterling at, you know, between 1990 or 86 and 91, and then Clear Lake uh, beyond that. Uh, I mentioned all of that because... Um, as you know, we're doing this Best of Texas program, and here are the finals. We're in the Final Four situation. On the girls, it's uh, – I've got to get that in front of me. It's Baytown Sterling versus Clear Lake. On the boys, 
it's Baytown Sterling versus Clear Lake. That must be a matter of pride, uh, I would suspect, for you and for the entire Houston region. Yeah, but I hadn't showed him where to vote yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. You do need to spread the word about that. We, we'll, we'll, that poll closes not until next Tuesday, so you can alter the outcome of those, those competitions. Yeah, we, we are extremely proud of the, uh, the rivalry and the history between Baytown Sterling and Clear Lake. It probably epitomizes the relationship between Tom and I more than anything, especially, as I said earlier, when uh, I asked him, you know, where's a job open? And he said, come take mine. And, and that takes a big man to open it up like that. And I, I very much appreciate that opportunity. Uh, but our, our kids are rivals and some of them are friends, but Tom and I are friends that have also been rivals. And that's been questioned before. I had a, I had a USS swimming coach that was upset with me about the allocation of pool time because they were all using the pool where I was. And he was a little bit upset that I'd given pool time to Tom. And he said, why did you do that? I go, cause he's my friend. And he goes, I've seen you guys on the deck of a water polo game and you don't look like friends. I said, listen, son of a bitch, I got precious few number of friends in this world. I'll be damned if I'm going to let you start picking them out for me. So it's a healthy rivalry. <laughs> Spirited and healthy at the same time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so of, of all of those teams, and I've interviewed Zane Bell and uh, the voting on the best of Texas teams was both of the 2007 Sterling teams. And that, that might be a little bit of a tough subject for you, Coach Tom, because you were on the other end of those two victories by Sterling. But what is it that you remember about that 2007 year, which apparently produced some of the best water polo in the history of the state? I never talked about winning a state championship. Never mentioned it to my team. I said, we got a game today. We're going to play water polo. Whoever plays best is going to win. You ready? I said, yeah, let's go. So I, I didn't pick out the team. I didn't pick out the coach. I didn't pick out the star player. Every once in a while, we did a little something. Uh, the state championship in 2004 is the only real strategy I remember and uh, we were playing Cypress Creek for the title and they had several good players but they had one weak girl we never guarded her and they would throw the ball to her she would shoot the ball right at our goalie our goalie would catch it we'd already counterattack and score at the other end the girl who scored four goals in that game they never usually ever score, but we took advantage of that girl. I talked to the coach after the game, and I've talked to him subsequently years later. He says, man, I should have seen you doing what you were doing. <laughs> like, I can't imagine you, you, you got by with that. I said, well, you beat us. They had beaten us this, that year. They didn't beat us in that game. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about that 2007. Yeah, please. Uh, that 2007 series of games. Uh, I had just left Sterling, and I left Sterling because I was looking for uh, a gracious way out. It had become a lot of pressure because at Sterling, 
if you didn't win the state championship, it was considered a failure of a year. And I'd been through that meat grinder for 14 years. And I was looking to make life a little bit easier on myself. But mostly, I had an assistant coach there that had played for me at Sterling. And I very much believed in the idea of welcome back, Cotter. I wanted to leave the Sterling program in the hands of a former Sterling player. And that former Sterling player, Scott Slay, started his career playing water polo with Tom when he was an age group kid there in Baytown and he was playing Baker Road Aquatic Team. So the, the coach of that 2017 team that was a tremendous team, very, very talented. Uh, the boys were led by Zane Bilal and uh, Matt Chapa and uh, Stevie. What, what, what was Stevie's last name? Ray, Stevie Ray. Uh, th those were kids that we all felt a connection to because we started them when they were young. Tom started Scott when he was young. I started Zane and Stevie and Matt when they were young. So even though Scott had the team and did a tremendous job with them and is still a tremendous coach, uh, there was a little bit of a pride in the fact that that was our former school and those were our former players. And Scott Slay is the, uh, the, the, one of the very best coaches in the state of Texas right now. And even though we hate losing to him, there's a, there's a little bit of pride when you see one of your own come through like that. Yeah. If, if we're talking about some of the most famous coaches in the state, meaning that you two are on that list, then Scott Slay has to be considered at least a, a candidate to maybe Eyes even take your spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to thank you both very much for letting us in uh, a little bit on how you uh, helped grow the sport in Houston. So thank you both. You're very welcome. All right, we're all done. That was my conversation with Coach Landgraf and Mac McDonald. Um, just a couple other things to wrap up for the day. Uh, what's coming up next week? Uh, we have um, the Texas like, you know, we are going to continue the Southwest Zone Town Hall meetings right. at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesdays and the Texas Coach to Coaches at 12.30 p.m. on Thursdays. Those are also all, all going to be posted at TXWaterPole.com. So don't, so don't forget. And also, please email pod at TXWaterPole.com. Anybody that you feel might and should be nominated for the Texas Swimming and Diving Hall of Fame. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Joe. You take care, James. I will take care, and thanks to everyone for taking. Uh, well, take thanks to Le Coach Landgraf and Mac for taking the time to talk with us. Of course, um, thank you for listening and telling a friend about the podcast. Um, you can find us on social media and leave comments, give it to the cause, and stay up to date with what's going on in the game at txwaterpolo.com. Until next week, so long from Austin. Yeah, so long. Production of TWP Sports LLC.